Welcome to the Holding Time Podcast. Here we discuss breastfeeding in all its complexity, the ups and downs, the challenges, the triumphs. Whether you're expectant, a new mother or simply interested, I hope you'll appreciate the incredible warrior women who are featured in this series. So I had my eldest child, Ivy, October 2015. It was a planned section. And it was perfect. Everything I wanted happened. The radio was playing. It was so relaxed. It was lovely. We did skin on skin. My husband did skin on skin. Started breastfeeding. And it all just got really, really hard. I didn't know what I was doing. There wasn't any support. I seen one midwife, I think it was, who told me to try the rugby hold. So I tried that. And then she went, you've just got really big boobs. I think you're suffocating her. I just was terrified. I didn't want to feed her again. I thought I was suffocating her. So we can't be fed for two weeks and then I gave up. And I was really hard on myself for a long, long time. And I don't think I've ever really forgiven myself for not giving her that start. So you obviously had been told breastfeeding was the best thing. Where did you get that message from? Was that from the antenatal classes? Or was that from your own experience being breastfed or knowing people who breastfeed? Where, where, did, you, where did you get that message it was from the antenatal classes, and when I went to the appointments at the hospital, there was posters everywhere and advertisements playing on the screens about breastfeeding and how brilliant it was. I wasn't breastfed. My mum formula fed both me and my sister. I'm not from a breastfeeding family. My mum is one of six. Nobody breastfed. I have 14 cousins. Nobody breastfeeds. I am the only one. <laughs> I'm the odd one out, but I'm proud of it. It is important to tell pregnant women about breastfeeding but it's a little bit like telling women who are suffering fertility issues you must have a child you know it's like it's actually not that easy and just pressuring women more is is causing a lot of problems I thought I failed Ivy because I couldn't do it and it's only now I've gone on and learned a lot more that I understand why it wasn't working but at the time and it probably is due to a lack of funding there was no one there telling me why it wasn't working and what else to try. It was just a case of, it's not working, you're suffocating her. She needs chopping up with formula. Did you have access to any kind of, you know, like infant support network? No. No, I didn't speak to anyone other than the community midwife. I didn't see anybody. Did they suggest you talk to anyone? Did they, you know, did they refer you, basically? Did they give you the number of, like, the local koalas or whatever? No, no. My community midwife was fantastic. She was lovely. And I think she was more concerned about the pressure I was putting on myself and the effect it was having on me mentally. That she just said to me, I needed to look after myself because I couldn't look after the baby if I wasn't looking after myself. And I needed to not put that pressure on myself. I just constantly felt like I was failing. I just, I wasn't doing the right thing. I didn't know what I was doing. I just felt really insecure. It's a funny feeling, isn't it? Because, because, I mean, I had my daughter when I was 40. And as you know, I wanted her and I struggled for her and I desperately prayed for her. But actually, by the time I had her, I was really on top of my life. You know, I was earning good money. I was kind of in control of a lot of my life. And then when she came along, I've never felt as vulnerable as I did with a newborn baby. No one talks about that side of it, do they? I remember sitting with Ivy 
in my nursing chair and I was giving her a bottle and it was dark and it felt like there was only us in the world and crying like silently crying because I didn't know what I was doing and was I doing it right and I had all this responsibility this human literally relied on me I just remember sitting there thinking I don't know what I'm doing I really don't know what I'm doing and like she's six now and she's amazing she's wonderful I think that is part of motherhood that people just don't talk about it's an immense amount of pressure for a person to deal with and even if you've got a fantastic support network that pressure's still on you because you're the mum when it came around to having hazel my experience is so different we've parented differently and it's been such a positive experience this time around but that mum guilt gets me now that ivy didn't get that positive experience if you looked on social media or you spoke to me ivy was fantastic she attended all these play groups and sensory groups and all the rest of it I don't remember much of it it feels like a blur because I was just surviving getting through the days and making sure she was okay and fed I've got a video and it came up on my memories on my phone the other day Uh, it's a video of Hazel feeding and I showed it to Liam my husband and I was like oh look at this look at her feeding how tiny she is and he was like do you not remember recording that and he said you was I was sat on the couch crying because I was giving up. I couldn't do it anymore. It was too painful. She was losing too much weight, and I filmed it, apparently, because it was going to be my last seed. I can't remember it now, looking back. To me now, it's just a beautiful video of this tiny, tiny £5.3 baby feeding. But Liam said he remembers watching me do it. And I've never thought about how it must have been tough for him to watch me struggling, because Hazel was born in the height of lockdown. She was uh, November 2020. So it was the middle of lockdown. There was limited support. She lost loads of weight. And we got to five and a half months before finding out she had a tongue tie. From two weeks till she was about 17 weeks, I used shields because it was the only way I could get her to latch. And we topped her up with a bottle just to get her weight back up because she was so tiny. And then at five and a half months, I found out she had a tongue tie and she was too big for them to snip it without being put under a general anaesthetic and they couldn't guarantee it improve her latch or make it more comfortable for me so I said oh forget it then we've got this far we've got five and a half months if this if I have to wean it now at least I've done five and a half months and now she's won and we're still going <laughs> wow so what happened then you you had your last feed you were ready to stop and then and what happened I don't know I think pers- perseverance took over the midwife came out and weighed her and she put on the tiniest bit of weight I can't even remember it was minuscule and she was like well done that's you you've done that and she just gave me that bump that now it's hard but it's still working I, I am doing it slowly but surely and it did take her a long time to get back to get her weight back up she was only she was 6'10 born and she dropped down to 5'3 and she didn't get back to birth weight until she was about eight or nine weeks. She's always been a dinky little thing. And I remember having all these clothes in the wardrobe that she just didn't fit into. All these winter dresses that she should have fitted in at three months and she would have fitted in in June when she was like seven months because she was so small. <laughs> but just the fact that she had managed to get her to put a little bit of weight on was enough motivation to like persist. And I just kept saying, 
like I'll do it till the next weigh-in. I'll do it till the next weigh-in. And the midwife's been for the first four weeks weighing her regularly. And then once she was happy that there was like, she was gaining every time, she signed me off and just said, you ring me. If you get concerned, ring me. It was like Christmas time by then and we just persevered over Christmas. I remember sitting eating my Christmas dinner, feeding her, laughing with Liam saying next year she won't want my milk, she'll be having a Christmas dinner. <laughs> and now she'll probably have both. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, when you think what a journey you have with both of them. So how do you feel <laughs> breastfeeding a one-year-old? It sounds big-headed, but I'm so proud of myself. Um. With Hazel, I didn't put as many sort of milestones in place mentally for myself. It was like, I'll feed her to the next way in. I'll feed her to the next way in. And then it's, oh, I'll feed her till she's one month. And then it's just continued. I've not put the same pressure on myself as I did last time. And then I sort of said, oh, well, we'll see if we can get to one now. And now I'm sort of, she'll wean when she's ready. She'll do it when she's ready. I'm working. I'm back at work. My work are really supportive of her. I've had a few comments of, are you still breastfeeding her? Or, she's got eight teeth and you're still breastfeeding. <laughs> but yeah, because it's more than just feeding her. It's a comfort. It's a safe place. When I've done a nine-hour shift and come home and she's in bed, first thing I do is scoop her up and have a cuddle and feed her. And half the time, she's not even awake. But she's like she smells me and she latches and... We have that moment where I feel like I reconnect with her after being away from her all day. My job now is very stressful and it's very emotional. I know some people go home and have a glass of wine to relax or enjoy some chocolate, but I come home and have a snuggle with Hazel and feed her, and that's me unwinding. It is relaxing breastfeeding a child when it's not painful. I think that's something that is not very well understood, like that actually it's a really nice feeling. It's almost like she's back, like attached to me again. Obviously, you have nine months of growing them and they're just yours, aren't they? You can't share them when you're pregnant. They are just yours. And then they come into this world and you have to share them with people and hand them around for cuddles and everybody wants a nose and a look. But when you feed it, she's mine again. Like, we're attached again. We're one again. Where do you think is a good place to breastfeed? Like, where do you breastfeed when you're out in public? There is a coffee shop on Dale Street in Liverpool. It's called Moose Coffee. They are lovely. They pass your glass of water, they check to see if you need anything, they make small talk if you're a bit nervous. They're really nice and it's only tiny, tiny little cafe. There's also a coffee shop in Bootle Strand, which is like local to where I live, and it's the first place I said in public. I remember walking in saying, can I breastfeed in here? And he was like, okay. And he'd be like, of course you can, don't be down. And um, she came and sat with me whilst I like got Hazel latched on and did my put my shields on and all the rest of it. And she just sort of chatted with me and made sure I was comfortable. And then she's like, can I get you a drink? Would you like anything? So I just had a glass of water. And then she brought me a glass of water and a piece of cake over. And she's like, you stay as long as you want. And it was just such a nice, nice moment. And now if I'm out and about, I'll purposely go there and feed again. But I'd rather give a small business my business and know they support and breastfeeding as well. And I recommend it to other local mums because they're so nice and so friendly there. That's so nice to hear, isn't it? But like people are really taking care of young mothers in that way. That's really what we need um, yeah. <laughs> everywhere, isn't it? 
And I think, to be honest, I've talked to so many women about breastfeeding in public, and I really think it's a mistake to say that it's, you know, women are being publicly shamed and stuff, because I'm just not finding that. There, there can be some disapproval, but a lot of it's just based on ignorance. I mean, they just don't know, you know, yeah. like fundamentally, yeah. how would they, you know? To some degree, breastfeeding mothers are kind of the educators of their community, aren't they? And sometimes mothers like you, you might become mentors, you know, who encourage and and influence. Well, that's it. I'm a breastfeeding, I volunteer at our breastfeeding group. So I'm a breastfeeding support. I'm in the process of doing my training now. It's just, I think, having a mum who's got a baby at the same time as you, it's more relatable. I find comfort knowing that they're going through it at the same time as me. When I attended our, our local breastfeeding group, because of COVID, I didn't attend until Hazel was six, like six months old, maybe. And I remember sitting there looking around at all these women with their boobs out and being like, we all look the same, really. No one's that bothers. And there was like, some who were trying to be really discreet like me. There was others who were just whipping their boobs out and feeding their baby. And it was fine. And everyone had a cup of tea and a biscuit at the same time. And I was like, these are my people. These are my people. They're not bothered that I've got my boobs out feeding my baby. And they're giving me cups of tea and biscuit at the same time. <laughs> thanks for listening. And thanks to everyone involved. Our funders, Cheshire and Merseyside Women's Health and Maternity Programme, Arts Council England Lottery Awards for their support, along with all the amazing mothers and partners who have helped to make this project happen. You can find out more about the project by visiting holdingtime.org.